I thought this thing was a done deal most of last year. And it wasn't until probably September of last year that I thought there's a chance it would it would it would not make it. Uh, especially the election of Stephanie Lynch. I didn't really know which way she was. I, I couldn't tell which way she was going to go in the final vote, but I could tell which way uh, just because I did coverage in that campaign. I could tell which way people on the doors thought she should vote right. all throughout her district, and it was overwhelmingly a no on Navy Hill. <laughs> Just heard was David Shriver. He is the digital news editor at VPM. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, you guessed it. On this episode of the Cheats Movement on WRIR, we will be talking all about the Navy Hill Project and the aftermath of the Navy Hill Project being that Richmond City Council voted to not move the project forward by a 5-4 vote just a few weeks ago. David and VPM and their team has put together an amazing timeline of all things Navy Hill from start to finish. You can check it out over there, but we're going to talk exclusively to David about what went well, what didn't go well, why we're in the outcome that we're in here in the city of Richmond, and who are the winners and losers in regards to the Navy Hill project. It is February 18th. Tuesday, February 18th, I am your host, Cheats. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Cheats Movement on WRIR. This morning, I am joined by a very special guest, David Shriver, who is the is a friend of the show and a newly crowned digital news editor over at VPM. An amazing, amazing uh, Virginia Public Media. David, welcome back to the program. So excited to have you on. Uh, thanks for having me, Cheats. So we are going to talk a little bit about the aftermath, if you will, on the entire Navy Hill project. You guys at VPM put up a wonderful digital timeline from start to finish. Tell us a little bit about that. As, as kind of everything broke down with Navy Hill leading up to the final vote, I saw, I saw kind of the, a little bit of what looked like a bubble in Richmond Media where you saw people who were more on the pro-Navy Hill side, had this sense that this had been this big public open debate for over two years, and no one had done anything to suggest any difference to it at all, and now all of a sudden they were against it when they'd been supporting it in some way all along. And the idea really was just, uh, as a reporter, that wasn't my experience, that this was a fully open thing. It, most, a lot of details didn't officially come out until last August and September. Right. A lot of and, the and negotiations it, were actually private. And exactly. so one of the one of the biggest things I remember about Navy Hill was uh, everyone saying, especially on city councils, like we can't vote. We don't know what the plan is. We haven't seen a plan. But they were they were. But to the credit of the administration and uh, the Navy Hill Corp, there was just all of these long negotiations. We just didn't know what they were. Exactly. And one and what really got me is I saw just average people discussing it on Facebook, being like. I don't understand why they didn't just change this part of the deal or that part of the deal back in 2018. It just made me think, this has been a really long process and people don't know what happened. 
and it's important. It not I don't think in a deliberate sense for anyone. I just think it's the bubbles and the silos we're all in. But it made me think it would be great to go back and kind of capture two and a half years of reporting from you know, our colleagues at the Richmond Times Dispatch, uh, my own reporters at VPM, and just kind of put all that together on one timeline of just the major milestones. When did things become known to the public? When did things stay in that long negotiation process? So, ladies and gentlemen, it is a wonderful timeline from literally start to finish, right, about everything that happened Navy Hill, giving that much fact-based kind of historical knowledge. Were you surprised the way that this turned out with the vote uh, being, I guess, 5-4 to table it, right? It's, I mean, it's so hard to say. I thought this thing was a done deal most of last year, and it wasn't until probably September of last year that I thought there's a chance it would it would. It would not make it, uh, especially the election of Stephanie Lynch. I didn't really know which way she was. I, I couldn't tell which way she was going to go in the final vote, but I could tell which way, uh, just because I did coverage in that campaign, I could tell which way people on the doors thought she should vote right. all throughout her district, and it was overwhelmingly a no on Navy Hill. And also seeing Chris Hilbert kind of break with, this, <laughs> break with the, the, big, the big giant development, which in the past he supported these, made me think this was, uh, we were, might see a sea change in Richmond politics. So, and we did. We saw a, a vote that was contentious. Like, I mean, it was a lot, of de- a lot of debate when it gets to the kind of city hall and there's people speaking for and against it. The actual meeting, the city council meeting where the vote took place was very, you could tell there was a lot of tension in the room. There were, you know, city council members not necessarily getting along with each other, city councilmen and audience members or people speaking not necessarily getting along with each other. Let's do, I want to do something that's really interesting and unique because now that it is over and it seems to be over for, you know, the foreseeable future, let's do a little winners and losers, if you will. Um, so I'll, uh, I've got some ideas who I think possibly could be the winners and the losers of this and you tell me kind of what you think or suggest any new ones. Uh, it's always funner to start on the loser side. So when you look at Navy Hill, who would you say is the kind of, I hate to say biggest loser, but who loses the most out of this situation? I, I don't know that I'd call any of these people losers. I would say the, <laughs> right, the, right. Those are, that's my word, not yours. <laughs> uh, the, I think these are the ones who are going to suffer political consequences as a result of the whole process and the vote the other night. I think Mayor Stoney is probably the, the biggest loser by that metric. This is something he's staked a lot of political capital on. He's worked very hard toward. And I think in the Richmond of five years ago, this would have been a slam dunk that would have propelled him on for a future as a governor, you know, a future as a senator. I, I think this is a type of deal that a lot of Virginia politicians ride right all the way to the state house, typically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a, that's a great point because... If there was one person I even felt like might have been out on a limb, to a point out on a limb for a long time, seemed like he was the only one on the limb because the Navy Hill, you know, Tom Farrell and those guys aren't out giving a lot of public speeches, like a lot of public meetings with with, uh, Richmonders, right? But Mayor Stoney's out at all, you know, the district meetings and and he's kind of selling this program. And at at, at times I felt like he might have been the only one. Towards the end, it seemed like he got some support from the business community and those types of things. But for a long time, it felt like he was the only one on this ledge being the spokesperson for this project. 
and and it did not at, at the very least for him I don't see how he gains any kind of standing from doing this exactly and now he's going into the 2020 mayoral election which I suspect is going to be heavily contested and he's not going to have a big success for the last the last two years of work that he's put in right on this. He's a, so he's got a in regards to even just crystal ball here whoever um, comes out and runs against him if, if he faces credible challenges he's got to pivot back to you know the the blocking and tackling the paving of the streets he can't run on a I mean, so, the, so there's the three system. new, yeah the, the, yeah, the building of the three schools, but he can't run on what he's been pitching for the last year exactly. and a half. Exactly. And that's, you know, I think of it like a lost opportunity cost, right? If you don't put the money into the house now, you're not building equity right now. Sure. So he tried to put the money in the house. Maybe they discovered termites or a weak foundation, but right. But at the end, it, it didn't happen. And now he spent all that time and energy not, not going somewhere. I think uh, there are also a couple of, so D- Tom Farrell, of course, is right. One of the I was other gonna, that was my next one. I was going to put Dominion. Uh, so it's it, obviously you can't separate Tom Farrell from Dominion in that way. Um, Tom Farrell's name usually you just hear Dominion, and 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 the last just to be fair, last maybe two years hasn't been a lot of positive when you hear the word Dominion. It's a lot of controversy and a lot of you know a lot of issues, but you never really heard the name Tom Farrell as much as you heard it associated with this Navy Hill project. So it was almost like Tom Farrell and Dominion, you know, were just synonymous. I, I think that's kind of an outgrowth of the new progressive wing of, of the newly energized progressive wing of the Democratic Party in Virginia. Okay. You know, that there are, there are progressives who have long-standing issues with Dominion. Uh, they've been criticizing Tom Farrell since even before the, uh, the partially state-funded movie that his son made about the, mm-hmm. the Confederacy. Sure. Yeah. And I think for... For those people, I think this was kind of a perfect chance to to point at him and say this say, is the this guy is behind. the guy. Yeah, right. th- this is the guy. So how, who so it, who hurts it more? Contextualizes in this. Yeah, yeah. their their more ideological argument, right? To have a a man they can point to and call the villain. Mm-hmm. So, but he obviously doesn't come out of this, and Dominion doesn't come out of this looking good, right? Right. But I, to be honest, I, I don't know that it will have any real negative impact on their their long term <laughs> plans, right? Because right. At the end of the day, like Dominion is a company that provides power right. and has a monopoly to do so, right. and is I think fairly well insulated against public opinion on their day to day kind of core core things they do. Right. No, so that's same, a good point. S- same thing with Tom Farrell. I, he might not be able to propose another big development like this, but I, I don't know that losing this actually results in a, a net worth shift for him or. Or any other personal, personal true loss. Does it feel like? Uh, I always think back to like the Rocky movies, right? So when Rocky's fighting Ivan Drago, and it's like Rocky finally like hits him in the face and he gets cut, right? And then it's like, oh, the whole can fight can change. If taking on if for advocates that feel like they they won on the winning side, they feel like they've made have been taking on Dominion in one thing, and by stopping this, is this? a possibility of them kind of cutting Ivan Drago and saying, maybe we can like, take on Dominion in different ways now. It, it could be. And I think if we see more of the kind of anti-Dominion candidates running for state office, mm-hmm. especially propelled by this, then that will be kind of a lasting impact on, on Dominion and Tom Farrell. You brought up uh, earlier when we were just kind of discussing this in pre-meeting, you did bring up 
the kind of impact that this you think this might have on city council in ninth district michael jones yeah i, I think what, what do you think about kind of where does he come out of this you know i think councilman jones entered into this with the mindset that it was the usual big project that comes before city council uh, the same mindset that i think most of richmond had which is like it or not it's probably going to happen so you might as well get in try to carve something out that would be beneficial for your constituents and uh, it just, you know, not, not be too, too in the way of that. And I think, uh, unfortunately for him, that, that the shift has happened. Maybe he'll didn't happen. And I think, well, although one thing, I think he has a slightly different perspective on this too, which is I think he would say, and he has it on Twitter, it's you know, fine to be against this sort of thing, but why aren't you also against tax abatements and historic tax credits and all these other all these other mechanisms by which developers and wealthier people get money to build things that then make them more money later. Right. And so I, I think he makes kind of a, a pretty sound ec- economic argument, maybe, mm-hmm. that uh, you know, this was just another version of, of all of those, those at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And he's taking a real, a real drumming on this, but I think he would say you know, he doesn't know why other people aren't taking a drumming for their regular support of... I think in uh, Scott's edition, it's something like, I, I, I think he said, don't quote me on this, sure. but I think he said it was something like $7 million being transferred into private hands mm-hmm. through tax abatements. And the city's the one that's going to have to pay the cost of multi-million dollar sewer upgrades over there, sidewalk installation, road building, is wh- that, while other people get is that something get he can foc- Is that something he can focus on moving forward? Because I'll tell you what the challenge is timing-wise, when you bring this up, when Navy Hill fails, right? It's almost about whataboutism, right? And so instead of a kind of addressing the the current issue that you're having, you're just like, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I think that inherently turns people, you know, to say, okay, I get it. You may be actually, you may have a point, but now it's like there's a time and a place in that sense. So now do you think there's an opportunity for him to address these types of things moving forward? I don't think there was right now. I, th- sure. I think if he gets, you know, if he gets reelected to council and could kind of put this behind him, I, I think that would be a fight he could take up, and he he might even find allies. You know, we put him kind of on the on the losing side of this battle, mm-hmm. but I suspect he could find allies on the winning side if he can reach out to them with a pitch around this this type of thing. And I think it's it's really easy for people to see the accumulation of wealth when something as big as Navy Hill, and we're talking about a 30-year time, time period there, it's much harder for them when we're talking about something at the neighborhood level or block by block. E- even if the money was the same over 30 years citywide, through all these smaller decisions, it, it's still very hard, I think, for people to wrap their heads around that. I, I agree, and I, under- I understand exactly what you're saying. I want to bring up another person that is in this that uh, has a unique twist to it. Delegate Jeff Bourne. Tell me a little bit about how Delegate Jeff Bourne plays out in this process. I, you know, I, th- I think in a lot of ways, Delegate Bourne has a similar story to Councilman Jones. Uh, uh, Roberto Ro- Roldan for VPM reported on Bourne's bill. But he, from that very first article, it, was, it looked like Bourne had gotten involved in something a little bit over, over his head. Um, you know, it, it just to remind anyone listening who's, who's not familiar with it, uh, Bourne proposed a bill that was modeled after the bill in Virginia Beach, which will have let them apply sales tax from their stadium 
to paying off the construction of that stadium, which I, I don't think has worked out well. If you look at that, I, you know, I don't know. The, I gotta the, find well, out. the city's currently facing a major lawsuit. For, they had to pull, they had to kill the project. They oh, were wow. facing a major lawsuit from the developers. So even though it was similar to Navy Hill, a no risk deal, it, it, care, it in the end carried quite a bit of risk because it failed to happen. And now the developers are looking to recoup over a hundred million. Right. Um, so you know, Bourne modeled this bill after that bill, but he it, even. With the same day he introduced it, he had to kind of walk back and say, you know, I, I just be clear, I don't endorse Navy Hill and I don't support it. Which, which I, seemed I kind of crazy at the time, right? It just seemed uh, like really odd. Yeah, well, and I think, it, I think it hurt him with a lot of voters too and a lot of people who are clued into this who, right. who felt disappointed that he would introduce a bill for something which he also said he wasn't supporting. You know, I, I don't think it necessarily helps him with people who are pro or against the development to be against the development or not for the development, but supporting a bill that, that may have helped it happen. It was just it, that the way that it came about the, the bill being put in, it was kind of a surprise, right? At the time, no one was really talking about um, this bill. Now, and here's the thing, the bill was put in to cap or, or to deflect on one of the biggest criticism, right? The size of the TIF. So if the bill goes through, advocates are saying that, you know, this is 80 blocks. It reduces the 80 block TIF back down to 11, right? Is that what it is? So which would indeed helped uh, the advocates for the program take out one of their chief criticisms. Um, but it's really odd, I think, in the way that it was introduced, in the way that the patron that introduced it kind of said, I, I, I'm not making a de- declaration one way or the other on Navy Hill. I'm just kind of doing this favor, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's the impression it left on people. And then, it, of course, the I, I guess it was a uh, uh, Roberto report on this too, the clerical error that reintroduced the bill. Um, that I, so that yeah, I, you could kind of put down some of the Democratic Party as losers in this. I think that although I, I don't know that Eileen Fillercorn had anything to do with that at all. But it was strange. It was it was oh, kind yeah, of it, it seemed like maybe uh, what you know you assume from the outside looking in. It seemed like maybe D- Dominion state lobbyists were like, "Hey, we need this bill," and it went to I want is it delegate K Core. It went to some weird different committees, and there was kind of a sit in. Um, and we'll talk about uh, Richmond for all very shortly. But you know they were sitting in offices to make sure that the bill died. So it was just a weird thing. Uh, yeah. So I, I think in that sense, it hurt a lot of elected Democrats. Just. Just the chaos and confusion around that. Also, just the knowledge base, right? We expect if you're putting in these bills or you're looking at them in committees or if you're chairing committees and they're jumping from, you know, appropriations or something else, we assume that there's a basic knowledge, like an understanding of knowledge that you know what's happening. And it seemed like even one from, uh, you know, from the patron to the committees it was going to, a lot of people just seemed confused. Um, let's switch gears a little bit, David. One of the people that come out of this, or one of the organizations that come out of this, and we think uh, would would say victory or declare victory is Richmond for All. Richmond for All is a bit of a Voltron, if you will, of different Richmond advocacy groups coming together. And they have some uniform themes, but one of the things that they were really uniformed about was kind of defeating this project in the community, defeating this project in city council. They were very, very vocal in, you know, at the city council meeting where it went down. But they, as we mentioned, were kind of the advocacy wing that really led the 
kind of demise of the Navy Hill Project. Tell us a little bit about Richmond for All, how they came together, and how they really made an impact in this. It, as best as I can tell from reporting on them, they really began around the heating crisis at the RRHA uh, public housing projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same people I saw, it was a really cold, rainy winter night. Uh, they were out protesting. I, I was reporting on it for RVA Mag at the time. But they were out protesting the heating issue. I think it was a January. It was January, and uh, it's the exact same people I saw with with more people added to their to their roster, and some city leaders standing next to them two years later at the Navy Hill fights. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think this is a group that really sprang up around kind of a focus on the lowest income residents of Richmond. What do they need on a daily basis? What what aren't they getting from elected government? And I think that's kind of the the thread you can follow in all of their fights, whether it's whether or not you agree with them on Navy Hill and what it would have meant. So certainly, their their argument all along has been, we can't risk allocating. We, we see growth in this city. We can't risk promising future revenue, future property tax towards paying off a sports stadium with you know music concerts. Sure. I mean, it's it's a it's a fascinating organization in the sense of, uh, again, individually they have long time kind of fair housing advocates in the group, long time public education advocates. advocates in the group, long time kind of civil rights social justice advocates in the group, and they all kind of united and had you know, like I said and decided that I think the process here was something that they definitely disagreed with, mm-hmm. um, not only the process of how it came about, but Almost like you, know, you were saying, in exchange for what? We get this project. What does it mean for other parts of the city, other parts of the city that we want, we've been demanding for a long time to see improved? Um, in, in, where do, in, wh- when would we get the benefit? You know, if there are benefits sure. coming, when will they be coming? I think was one of their big questions. What do you see as the future of an organization like that? Where, where do they... Cause just as, as of last week, I did see they were really active in protesting uh, Michael Bloomberg that came to spoke mm-hmm. to the uh, the Democratic gala, if you will. Where does Richmond for All go? I, th- I you know, I, I've not spoken to them about this, but my suspicion would be electing leaders, uh, putting their weight. I, I know a lot of members did support Stephanie Lynch mm-hmm. uh, because there was a there was a view that she was going to be anti Navy Hill. I, I think in the end, she was a, a little bit more more of a middle road on Navy Hill. Right. It was interesting because they had kind of labeled Thad Williamson in that race as like the pro-Navy Hill, pro-mayor candidate, which he actually hadn't said he was going to do one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, there was a rise of an alternative. And you're right. I believe a lot of Richmond for All uh, members were, were in the Lynch camp thinking that this was was a no vote. Let's it, it, let's, was, it was something I heard at the polls all day on election day. Right. And one thing you mentioned about uh, they're going, you know, electing leaders might be the next uh, step for an organization like Richmond for All. You had, there are two pretty prominent elected officials in the Richmond for All advocacy. Um, and one of them could possibly be the mayoral candidate when we talk about Kim Gray. Where does Kim Gray? Uh, the other one um, is a school board member. I'm going to say it wrong. Is it Kenyana Gibson? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, okay. Uh, Kenya. Yeah. Kenya Gibson. I apologize. Um, but Kim Gray seems to have come out of this lock and step with Richmond for All, and a possibility from a lot of people to say she could be the one to challenge Mayor Lavar Stoney. What, what have you been hearing about that? I, that's exactly what I've been hearing. Even before Navy Hill really broke, 
what I've been hearing is that a lot of progressives are looking towards Kim Gray to be the person who runs against uh, Mayor Stoney. And I think there's a, there's a view that, that for a long time Richmond has been about building big kind of shiny projects. And a lot of the people who vote for Mayor Stoney the last time around vote for him thinking he was going to break with that tradition. Right. And, I think and, the quote is, no, what is it? no new shiny objects is what I heard people yeah. saying over and over again. Uh, right. and, and now I'm hearing a lot of the same people who said that about him when he first ran saying that about Kim Gray. Okay. So I, I think out of all the, out of all the elected officials involved, I think Kim Gray has probably come out of this with the strongest. She, she's definitely built a citywide constituency of people who were against Navy Hill, uh, people part par Richard for all. Correct me if I'm wrong. She will have to make a choice, right? Well, she'll have to make a choice whether she runs for mayor or the second district. She can't do both. Is that what it is? I, to be honest, I'm not sure. I'd have I think to that check. was. I think I'm just remembering the last election. I think that's what came down to John Blouse, and and you know he was running for mayor, so he couldn't run for his first district seat. So I do think that I there's. Think a, right. I think yeah. there's a choice that has to be made, and that's actually. She's again starting to solidify herself on the council for these types of things. It's an interesting decision she'll have to make is whether she gives up that seat, possibly takes on an incumbent mayor in a city where he's probably, I don't know, I haven't seen any poll numbers, but I'm assuming he name ID alone and still pretty recognizable. Uh, he hasn't, for what I can tell, even with the on the L side of this, he hasn't stopped. You know, right, kind of yeah. showing. Uh, he didn't do what a Dwight Jones did after the Shaco Bottom State, where he just kind of let his time run out, right? So it's, it's going to be interesting. You had mentioned, and I want to bring up another uh, aspect of this, the Independent Navy Hill Commission. You feel like they came out of this looking pretty good. Well, you know, so I think the, the commission faced a lot of questions early on, as particularly when Hakeem Lucas, the president of Virginia Union University, was added to it. And was he put on by Michael Jones? Was this he a was, okay? Yeah. This is a it was yeah. a whole point of controversy here well, around this too, right? And, you know, and there's the secondary view on that, which is Virginia Union is a university in this town that rarely gets any say in these big decisions, unlike VCU or, or even you know University of Richmond, a couple miles up the road. Uh, VU typically gets overlooked. I think that was the big argument made for adding him, although he was openly supportive before he came on the. One of those ghost was it one of those ghost written articles? Right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. He was. I think he was one of seven signatories on a letter. Okay. Um, so I think w- when he was when he was added, there were questions raised: Is this commission going to be independent? And I have to say, uh, John Gurner, the chairman, and the commission certainly proved that they could be independent of at least a pro Navy Hill viewpoint. They they released many reports and many public meetings, and. In the end, I believe their final they described it as being um, just too big of a too big of a gamble, too big of a risk to to go forward with uh, Navy Hill. And it actually bore out to be a you know like I said that work actually bore out to be something that could bolster uh, bolster the kind of grassroots advocates that were against the project. Exactly. I'm gonna I'm gonna mention a name um, that like I said it, it's it's it's. I'm going to mention a name that is hard to ignore given I think this person was the first advocate that kind of went on record and he went on record with a no coliseum.com and I remember sitting in very early preliminary meetings like the, the the stakeholder meetings when they were kind of giving you the dog and pony show about what Navy Hill would be at the same time that no coliseum.com 
came out. So it had to be years ago. So the author of this blog is Justin Griffith. He's spoken out at city council meetings, but he at one time where it seemed like this is, I think pre Richmond for all in, in regards to their advocacy involved in this seemed like he was the guy that was kind of on a limb and he's kind of, kind of stayed consistent in regards to his concerns. He's really done a lot of like work and data and research into, to kind of, round out his arguments um i don't know where someone like justin goes from here if there's another item but but, but I, I can tell he was kind of the first thorn in what would have been the navy hill side right well and i thought he ran a very interesting kind of, kind of campaign against this you know typically when someone is such a such a big part of an opposition it's their face you see it in a lot of places it's their name and I, I would say, in a lot of ways, he, he really flew under the radar. You know, right. He really focused on making this a fight over numbers and data and projections right. and really kept his personality and kind of character out of it. Yeah, outside of a couple of times. I think he spoke a couple of times at city council meetings. And, he, and he's and done... I saw him at everything. Yeah. He was it, physically present. But you're right. It was... Every single step of this. And whether or not he stood up and made a speech or not, he was he was there. Right. And, and so... The, it's. It's just interesting to see how everything, you know, starts with with something that seemed might relatively small, right? It could see, especially early on, if you're Navy Hill Court, Dominion, the mayor, you hear. I remember at the time, people like telling them, "Oh, there's a nocalcium.com," and they're ah, you know, and it just snowballs into, you know. An, an avalanche, right? I, I, that helps I think take a lot of the them. media overlooked it too, because because yep. we see one of these every time sure. something big happens. You know, if you even even a small you know, if you propose building an apartment building in the neighborhood, sure, there's going to be a website that's you know don't build this apartment building dot com. Two two issues before we get you out of here, David, that I really want to ask about uh, black business leaders, because it seemed as if a lot of black minority like black business leaders, minority business leaders were speaking in favor of Navy Hill. Um, obviously, it didn't, you know, didn't go that, that way. Um, and, but I'll, I'll lump them together. Black business leaders and also education. Because the two, it, didn't, it depended on who you talked to. They were for Navy Hill because of the benefits to RPS. They were against Navy Hill because of the hurts of RPS. Where, does, where do you think kind of black business and RPS kind of fall into... This well, Navy Hill. Without a crystal ball, I have to put them in the middle. And okay. I say that because I recently, uh, Robin Farzad unearthed some old TV clips of the Sixth Street Market, um, its launch and kind of the build up to it. And it, it, it's identical to Navy Hill in every way. I, the, the language used, the specific plans discussed, kind of some of the, some of the financing details are very similar. And, and also the coalition that supported it. Was very similar to the coalition today, uh, although they, there wasn't a Richmond for all opposing it. Right. At least not that I found on That's on these TV thing. clips. Um, but I would say, you know, some people would say even though that Project Oldsmobile was a failure, it did benefit the business leaders who got involved early and who set up in that food court. Uh, some would say it probably didn't benefit them because it was kind of a dead end. You know, they opened up the their restaurant there for a couple of years and then eventually it closed down. Sure. So I, I'd say without knowing for sure how this would have gone, I feel like we have to put both of those groups kind of somewhere in the middle where it's always going to be the open question. Would this 
development have spurred that or would it have held back these groups? A lot of what we see is just how deep the talent pool is in Richmond, I think. Uh, Richmond for All, Justin Griffith, uh, John Gerner, the chair of that commission, they've released very sophisticated financial projections and analysis, not just of this deal, but of deals similar to it all around the country. Coliseum deals, redevelopment plans. And I, what I think would be kind of interesting would be if the city came back and said, we're going to do something more like what advocates thought we were promising in the first place and bring in the community to actually plan this out. It, one of the things I heard over and over, even from people who weren't against Navy Hill, but just weren't for it, was that they felt like the alternative they were offered by the city was to come on down and you know, add one basketball court to the pro. Yeah, you know, like here's this $1.5 billion thing. It's had a really superficial suggestion. It's right. happening the way it's going to happen, but you know, maybe we could do a basketball court on right. over here. Okay. And so I think that, that was the biggest complaint I heard from people who were kind of on the fence. And I think this is maybe an opportunity to bring in the broader Richmond community and say, what do we actually want to see? And maybe even reach out to the counties. Because a Coliseum isn't just going to be for downtown Richmond. It's going to be for Hanover, Henrico, and Chesterfield. Sure. I heard a lot of, th- I heard a a lot regional, of the regional, regional issues. partner that can come in. One of the things that I, I do find challenging of that is that anytime there's a partnership, there has to be two people, right? There, right. there yeah. has to, Or there has to be a conglomerate. The, I, I, the one thing about the regional thing I don't really fault is because from my understanding, Hanover, Chesterfield, and Henrico are like, look, we don't want to do any business with you. Like and so, do we? If if we take the attitude of doing nothing, no, no, I'm not saying that this was the right way to do it. But there's always a lot of talk about who benefits from things in the city. I think the city is just going to have to take that kind of L for a long time until they can consistently prove that they're doing things in a way that's just awesome. They're going to take those L's because Chesterfield, Hanover, and Jericho at this point, have no incentive to do business with the city. Right? Yeah, and it'd be interesting to see, has this worked in other places in America? Sure. Uh, this, I, I just, I don't personally know enough about Coliseum development, but <laughs> it would be interesting to see if, like, you know, maybe somewhere out in Iowa, a group of counties got together and built a, built a Coliseum and how that worked out. Because we normally see these born by individual cities. Sure. Well, let me tell you this, David. I know what you do know a lot about, and it is the entire Navy Hill process from start to finish. It is a wonderful timeline on VPM. Make sure you check it out. As always, my man, thank you for the time. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Excellent. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. We will be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, it is Tuesday, February 18th. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. I am rocking solo in the studio today. Everybody, shout out Gigi Broadway, my amazing, amazing podcast partner. We have been doing a lot. There's been a lot going on. We've been doing a lot all across the city. And I know I'd be remiss if I did not mention the Grind Theory Hosted and created by Gigi Broadway. It is an entrepreneurial networking event. It is taking place at the Hofheimer Building on February 19th. So that is Thursday, February 19th. The Grind Theory hosted by Gigi Broadway. Tickets are available. Please follow Gigi Broadway on her social media to learn more about that event. It is Gigi Broadway on everything. Make sure you do it. It is the Grind Theory 
February 19th. Doors open at 6.30. It's at the Hofheimer. You do not want to miss it. It's going to be an amazing event. While we're thanking sponsors, we also have to thank our wonderful friends uh, over at Working Friends. Fantastic co-working space, Working Friends, right located right on Broad Street. It's one of the best co-working experiences in all of Richmond, so please make sure you check out Working Friends. They are phenomenal. And finally, I do have to give a special shout-out to Brown Baylor. It's a wonderful, wonderful, brand-new creative agency that just does everything top to bottom creative. They are the leading creative hub behind the recent changing of Arthur Ashe Boulevard. They did all the creative for Arthur Ashe Boulevard. Brown Baylor, look them up. They have worked exclusively with the Cheats Movement on Matt Skills Day, which was a, such a big success last week. Matt Skills Day was amazing. I'd love If I have time, I'll tell you a little bit more about it, but I don't think I'm going to have time in this episode but we'll talk about Matt Skills Day and release some of the audio from Matt Skills Day in episodes of the future. Big shout out to everybody that is involved in sponsoring this program. We thank them so much. Please look out for our sponsors as they look out for us. We'll be right back after this. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to The Cheats Movement on WRIR. It is Tuesday, February 18th. I am riding solo today in the studio. I really, really want to take a second to thank David Schriever over at VPM for all the work that they've done on the Navy Hill project. That timeline is outstanding. Make sure you check it out. As we close the show today, I do want to talk a little bit about my takeaways that I've learned as I've followed the Navy Hill project pretty much since the beginning. I was in some of those very early focus groups that I believe a consulting firm, SRI, was was hosting. And they, they were informational. They were um, input-driven. They were some very, um, I would not say that they were, they were contentious. They weren't contentious at all. But it was, this was extremely early on. Now, what I did understand and realize is that there was a plan that was being worked on. There was a plan that was put in place. And... The big parts of the plan, the Coliseum, the hotel, the Blues Armory, all of that stuff was really kind of already in place, right? They were just trying to figure out when they heard from the community what would be the things that would would potentially trip that up, right? There was a lot of talk about affordable housing, right? There was a lot of talk about, you know, different aspects. And I think my read early on was... They've got this idea for a new Coliseum, a new hotel, new Blues Armory, and this is the NH District Corp and and the team that was working on it with the administration and so forth. And they were trying to figure out ways to get input that would not delay it, like that would not stop it. And so I was in those meetings early on, took a step back, but I've been watching the entire process um, really closely, obviously for this show and things that we do on the Cheats Movement. And there are a couple takeaways that I wanted to share as best I could. One of the things that you will know is that I share my columns on thecheatsmovement.com. I did write a column in December, um, right around the Christmas holiday, which I expressed my concerns about not necessarily Navy Hill failing. My concerns were what happens to black business and black business owners if Navy Hill passed. And it's really interesting because a lot of the advocates, especially in the business community, are black business owners. And I wanted to express my concern about is there enough minority ownership? 
at the time of the project? Is there a pattern in which it breaks a cycle in Richmond in which we see a small amount of mostly white males have a lot of kind of development money and development power and you know, the things that came, I felt came to black business were kind of insulary things. And so I wrote that column. That is not what I'm going to talk about right now, but if you ever want to look at that column, it's on thecheatsmovement.com still. And it's it's kind of my concerns about where black business fell if the project passed. Now we know, based over last week, that the project has not passed, and the project is pretty much, for all sakes and purposes, not moving forward as it is currently written. So when I looked at that, there were a couple of takeaways that really just stood out to me. And the first takeaway is that advocacy matters. Advocacy matters. Richmond for All not only seized upon the momentum of the Navy Hill mistakes, there was a lot of Navy Hill communication failures. I won't get into all of them. But what Richmond for All as an advocacy group, and like I said, this was the Voltron of advocacy groups, right? There was experts and 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 longtime activists in different areas coming together to band together to fight against this project, and it really did play out in a way where when we would see things like with the housing authority, and at the end of the year when the housing authority was really getting a lot of negative press for the mass amount of evictions, and 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 really on Christmas time during the holidays record numbers of evictions in Gilpin Court, um, not filling vacancies in housing units. Richmond for All was there. Richmond for All was seizing these opportunities as well to advocate on behalf of their constituents in lower-income housing to say, you know, while you're doing these other things, this is the real need of the community. And I think that was actually really powerful. When educators took to the streets to march for more funding, Richmond for All was there. And they were branded and they were wearing their, their towels and, and, and their, the pink stood out. And Richmond for All really took advocacy not only at the grassroots level, they dominated the advocacy on the social media. Things like the Independent Commission, Richmond for All was there. Ghost writing when they came out that uh, NH District Corporate ghost writ a, lo- a lot of advocacy articles. Richmond for All jumped on that. Paid supporters sitting in City Hall uh, to advocate on behalf of the project. Richmond for All made it a point to let you know certain individuals were paid. They didn't even know what they were advocating for. So the advocacy that really came out of the, the Navy Hill project, the grassroots social media advocacy for an organization like Richmond for All, really, I think, made a difference when it came to um, the vote in City Hall. When the, when the mayor released anything new, any new initiative, NoColiseum.com, we mentioned the name Justin Griffin. They were there pointing the kind of the, pointing the arc back to Navy Hill, say, hey, look, you're doing this while you could be doing, you know, while we could be figuring out how, how to move the city forward that didn't involve Navy Hill. So advocacy matters, and it was really relentless in regards to the tactic, the, the way that Richmond for All, NoColiseum.com, they really kept the advocacy communication up. Not only was it advocating against the Navy Hill project, it was advocating on behalf of people in low-income housing, uh, advocating on behalf of educators. And those things really add up and lend credibility to any kind of advocate, any kind of cause. So advocacy matters. 
And I think that actually did have a major impact on the end result of the Navy Hill proposal. Number two, elections matter. That seat that Councilwoman Stephanie Lynch won in November of 19, it Navy Hill was a big part of it. Navy Hill may not have been, again, when you're talking to folks on the street, they might have said schools is my first priority. They might have said transportation or bike lanes was my first priority. But everybody's second priority was Navy Hill Project. Where were we going to be on Navy Hill? Stephanie Lynch won that seat, I think, in kind of direct opposition to um, opponents that were in favor, one prominent opponent that seemed to be, which, again, not necessarily true, but it seemed to be a pro-Navy Hill vote. So Stephanie Lynch taking her seat put was the first real cog, I think, for people to understand, hey, look, this vote's probably going to be 5-4. Stephanie Lynch is probably going to be the difference, and elections really do have consequences in ways that are monumental in regards to the future of the city. My final takeaway when we're talking about the process of Navy Hill is that race matters. So to quickly recap, advocacy matters, election matter, and race matters. I know what you're saying. Cheats, this is Richmond. Race is the backdrop of everything in the city. And I think you're right. And I don't think that's going anywhere. Navy Hill was a historically black neighborhood. It was destroyed by the highway that ran right through it in the process of development and in turn eliminated a thriving black neighborhood. One of the things that is in the backdrop of Navy Hill that was never quite rectified was that through this development, You are bringing back Navy Hill. But who is it being brought back for? It didn't appear that Navy Hill would be bought back for the black communities that it destroyed. Now, I know what you're saying. Hey, if Navy Hill comes back, everyone benefits, including black business. But I want you to understand, supporting black business and supporting projects like Navy Hill is not fully supporting black communities. And it's certainly not a replacement for once thriving black neighborhoods that were destroyed in the name of development. Three out of the four city council members that voted for this project are black. Mayor LeVar Stoney is black. They all fully supported Navy Hill. The city council member that was credited for leading the opposition of the project is also black. City councilwoman Kim Gray. Richmond for All is a majority white organization that advocated against Navy Hill Justin Griffith, as we mentioned, of the NoColiseum.com, is a white male. Several of the business owners, the majority of the business owners that spoke in support of Navy Hill were black businessmen. These things are hard to wrap your, your mind around when you're processing all that is Navy Hill. But I will say, this is Richmond, where to ignore race is to ignore the city itself. Mayor LaVarstonia often talks about building one Richmond. If there's anything that highlights the fragmentation of our city, it was this Navy Hill process. Moving forward, the only way to get big things done, big deals done, big developments done in the city of Richmond is to actually truly foster a one Richmond mentality. And to do so, you can't dismiss advocates on the ground. At the same time, you also have to be able to work in a, in a structure that allows big projects to get done in public with transparency. Do I think that this is the last we will see 
of big development pushes in the city of Richmond? Absolutely not. The city is actually rebounding in regards to population. It's rebounding in terms of opportunity. There are only going to be more, if not less, Navy Hill-type projects, baseball stadiums. There are going to be more than less of these moving forward. My point is, in order to get these things done, you truly have to foster one Richmond. And that means inclusion, it means transparency, and it means trust. I think trust is a big, big issue, maybe the biggest issue when it comes to doing projects of this nature. You can only build trust. Trust is earned, and it's only earned through effective action and leadership. That's my two cents on Navy Hill for now. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. As always, please email the show. Hit me directly. Hit GG Broadway directly. We truly, truly appreciate your feedback and support. Until next time, Richmond, we see it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review. Please rate and review. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR. This is the Cheats Movement. Say it loud. This is the Cheats Movement on WRIR.